Makeshift Stories presents Somewhere, Sometime, an irregular series of short sci-fi and fantasy stories. I'm sure that we've all heard at least one ghost story, probably told on a dark night in a spooky room that sent a shiver up your spine and kept you awake for hours afterward. But then, later, in the warm light of a new day, the tale loses its potency, and you think, there's no tangible proof, it's just a myth. And you might be right. In this month's story, after 10 years of starring in a paranormal reality TV show as a debunking half of a popular ghost hunting duel, Sage unexpectedly finds herself on the flip side of her own arguments during the live broadcast of the show's season finale, and quite possibly the last show ever. We now invite you to sit back and relax as you listen to Makeshift Stories 78 Finale. Somewhere in some time, the truth may be closer to fiction than you think. The brooding sky flashed, momentarily turning the gloom into a world-sized stroboscope. Sage counted to five, then heard the low rumble. It's getting close, she anxiously called over her shoulder to the camera and sound people who were recording Sage as she set up. She knew that only a two-second clip of this would be used as a segue at the ad breaks. It seemed like an unnecessary, gratuitous use of resources to have the crew follow her around for just two seconds of footage. I don't understand why they even bother recording this stuff. Sage yelled over the rising wind as she fought to finish mounting a full-spectrum motion-triggered infrared video camera, known on the show as a FLIR camera, on a tripod, then stooped to place sandbags around its legs. The show is called Sage and Jarrett, Paranormal Investigators. You're Sage. May, the camerawoman, sarcastically yelled back. Hey, I can let you in on a big secret, May. I'm not an investigator anymore, and that's why they have me out here in a storm. But I'm not sure about you. May simply shrugged. Sage had recently been recast as a technical director, a change that limited her screen time to a few brief clips so she would no longer be able to question the new evidence they had suddenly begun to find. A decade ago, when the show first started, Jarrett and her were the lead investigators. In fact, aside from the ever-present invisible camera crew, they were the entire cast. The yin-yang duel of the then quickly emerging paranormal reality TV show genre. A genre they had single-handedly created. Those had been heady times shot in a then-fresh, stylized, edgy, handheld, low-tech look that took the camera crew months to perfect. The show had been an instant hit. It was all-new territory, a reality show, Terra Incognito, pitting the unflinching belief of Jarrett against a sharp analytical lens of Sage. The show was really about the clash of two different ways of seeing the world. That was its secret, and ironically, its eventual downfall. There were few things that they captured that Jarrett and she could agree on, so each episode always ended in a kind of standoff that left the ultimate question, does the afterlife truly exist, unanswered. Sage couldn't recall the exact moment when the shift occurred, but there was a point when the Me Too ripoffs, which didn't care about the delicate tension between parascience and hard fact Jarrett and her had carefully developed over the years, entirely abandoned reality and based on questionable, inconclusive evidence in every episode, proved 
that ghosts existed. Sage considered this irresponsible and potentially psychologically damaging to the property owners who, in many cases, were already too scared just to enter their buildings. So she had wanted to change the format of the show to debunk the findings of its competitors. But the producers rejected the idea, pointing out that audiences just wanted to see ghosts and get creeped out in the process. They were tired of being disappointed by Sage's splash of reality, the producers had claimed. The audience just wanted to be entertained, and the show needed to deliver. The arguments off-screen had been so intense that Sage and Jarrett had eventually stopped talking, and on-screen she had been maneuvered into a secondary role and removed from the investigation and analysis team. And now they too were, in quotes, finding real evidence everywhere they went. But the show's ratings still spiraled down, and today the season finale, a live broadcast from a haunted school, was potentially the last show ever, unless something truly earth-shattering happened. For a millisecond, another flash turned the yard outside the 19th century residential school into a ghostly high noon. They were placing the Fleur camera on the edge of what had reportedly been an early 20th century gravesite for the residents who had died during their stay at the school, and were now supposedly walking its halls. Sage started to count, this time barely getting to two before the air was split with a deafening roar. It's getting too close. You need to go. No need for us all to risk our lives out here. I just have to connect the video cable to the production van. The crew turned and left, just as the first sheets of rain began to pour down. Sage watched them quickly move around the corner of the building and disappear. She pushed her head down into her collar in a vain attempt to protect herself from the downpour, then picked up the video cable, plugged it into the back of the camera, and turned to leave. Sage had barely taken three steps when the universe around her exploded in a nova of sun-white light. What was that? Jarrett shouted back over his shoulder to the cameraman as thunder shook the bricks of the old building. I hope you were rolling, he sarcastically noted. That'd make a great teaser between the ads. And well, we need all the spooky stuff we can get. Thanks for the great show, Mother Nature. Keep up the good timing. Jarrett pulled his radio out and spoke into it. This is Jarrett and Carl. Is everything set up? The radio crackled with static from the storm for a second, before there was a response. Hi, Jarrett. Everything except the Fleur camera near the greys. It was working for a bit, then went out after that last clap of thunder. Puzzled, Jarrett looked over to Carl, then angrily spoke into the radio again. Where's Sage? She was supposed to watch the monitors tonight. Not you, Maureen. I don't know. I guess she went back to fix the fleur. Well, we can't wait for that stubborn idiot. We're out of time, and I want to start while the storm's here. Okay, everybody. Lights out. Let's go. The air suddenly filled with so much static that it made the hair on the top of Jarrett's head rise. Then the world outside split open in a sheet of brilliance with a crack of thunder so loud that the sound woman ripped her headphones from her ears. Huh. Glad to see that you at least got that one recorded. Jarrett sarcastically smiled. As the thunder rumbled into the distance, Sage found herself staring at the afterimage of the brick school building. She felt unusually lightheaded, 
but chalked it up to high blood pressure. She was furious at having been reduced to risking her life setting up equipment in the middle of a lightning storm. I've had it, she groused, then impulsively decided to tell Jared off on camera. So instead of heading to the production van, Sage made for the principal's office on the main floor of the school, where she knew Jarrett and Carl were starting their investigation. Investigation? Ha! In pursuit of the truth? She spat out the show's tagline and laughed to the wind in disgust. But the truth has low ratings. What a joke. And that was why she was getting soaked in the rain off camera. No one apparently wanted reality. Sage was so distracted by her anger, she failed to notice that she had just walked through the closed front door of the old school, as if it didn't exist. This is Jarrett and Carl. Jarrett spoke in his best investigative voice into his handheld EVP recorder. We're in the hallway outside the principal's office. This is where it's claimed that a boy of around 10 appears as a full-body apparition who walks out of that door and down the hall. The camera swung around following Jarrett's arm as he pointed, and at that moment, Sage stormed up to them from behind. What was that? I think it came from over there. Carl exclaimed, pivoting to look down the hall. Sounded like footsteps. I'm not the principal. You're not in trouble. Don't be afraid. We just want to talk to you, Jarrett called out. Well off camera, Sage noticed Jenny, a new production assistant the producers had just hired, surreptitiously kneel down and move a small board that made a faint scuttling sound, like someone shuffling their feet along the floor. Listen. Jarrett held a hand up for everyone to freeze. I thought I heard something in the office. He turned, taking a measured step toward the office door. That's it. I've had enough. They've gone too far this time, Sage muttered and tried to push her way past the cameraman. Narrett, move, she demanded, expecting Narrett to swing the camera around to face her, but instead he kept following Jarrett and Carl. Sage impatiently tried to shove the stubborn cameraman out of her way, but somehow missed and slid by him, apparently unnoticed. That's odd, she thought, as she made for Jarrett, intending to block his way, expecting that any second one of the crew would shout out, Jarrett, look out! It's Sage! She's finally lost it! But instead, Sage slipped by Carl without anyone noticing her presence. Carl was looking down at his electromagnetic fluctuation meter. One light momentarily blinked as she passed. He shook the meter to make sure it was working waved it dramatically around, and when nothing happened, went back to scanning the room. Sage positioned herself so she blocked the principal's office door, still surprised that no one had attempted to stop her. Jarrett swung his handheld FLIR camera toward her, then suddenly looked up. She braced herself to deliver the speech she had been rehearsing all the way from the gravesite and was about to launch into it when Jarrett simply walked through her. Confused, Sage froze for a moment, fear coursing through her. She turned and tried to tap Jared on his shoulder, but her hand passed through him. This is Jared and Carl. We've just entered the principal's office. The last principal of the boarding school died in here under mysterious circumstances. His name was Mr. Miller. Mr. Miller, are you present? If you are, my friend here, Carl, has a device that will light up if you come close. Can you make the lights turn on for us? Sage, still stunned, watched as Carl slipped a magnet from under the cuff of his sleeve. 
Without thinking, she tried to grab it from him so she could hold it up in front of the camera and say, See, it's all rigged. But again, her hand mysteriously passed through his arm as if it were a projection. Wow, I just got a big spike on the EMF, Carl excitedly whispered. Ask him to do that again. Confused, Sage rushed out of the office, down the main hall, and through the closed front door. Outside, the rain had finally stopped, but not before it had imparted a wintry chill to the air. Sage stood shivering beside the FLIR camera at the gravesite. Then, in a sudden flash of lightning, she found herself staring at her motionless body, lying face up in the cold, wet mud, still grasping the video cable in one scorched hand. The air smelt of ozone and burnt electrical insulation. The lightning! I don't believe this! I'm dead! She angrily shouted to the universe, Of all the... What a stupid way to go! I wouldn't have even been out here if the producers and Jared had listened to me. Jared, I swear, I'll haunt you for the rest of your miserable life. There was something satisfyingly ironic about that statement, which made her smile. And now, where are you, my dear ex-partner? She tried to picture Jared, but got a blank, tried again, then frustrated gave up. I don't get it, she angrily howled into the storm. No clairvoyance? No supernatural powers? What's the point of being a ghost, then? When only the wind answered, Sage charged off to the van where the monitoring station had been set up. Maureen jumped when the back door of the van blew open, sending papers flying around its cramped interior. Reluctantly, she got up and pulled the thing shut, shivering as a particularly cold, wet blast of air squeezed past her. The radio impatiently chirped. Carl thought he saw a chair move. Did you get anything on the camera? Maureen slid back into her chair and rewound the recording. Sage drifted up beside her ex-production assistant and tried to get her attention. Jarrett, did you just say something? Yeah, I asked you if you had anything on the recording. Jarrett slowly repeated in a derogatory tone. No, I meant while I was rewinding the video. Oh, never mind. And no, nothing has moved in the room. I just scanned through the last 30 minutes. Are you sure? Jarrett, there's nothing there. Exasperated, Maureen snapped back. Come here and look for yourself if you don't believe me. Put Sage on, Jarrett demanded. She's still not back, Jarrett. And she wouldn't have seen anything either. There's nothing on the recording. Maureen killed the radio link. Idiot. I couldn't agree with you more, Maureen, Sage whispered into her left ear. The young woman reached up and scratched the ear, keeping her eyes on the monitor. Sage tried the other ear, this time yelling as loud as she could. But Maureen didn't even flinch. The van door suddenly swung open again, and camera three burst in, with the assistant director on their heels. The aggressive AD immediately began to bark orders. Maureen, next time Jarrett calls in, run the video tag just in case on the monitors. They'll switch us into the live stream when he radios you. Jarrett and Carl will be in the attic. Here's your lines. Just paraphrase. The AD pushed a handwritten note into Maureen's face. She turned and glared back at him. So far we've got zilch, Maureen. The show is on the line. Just do it, or we'll all find ourselves looking for new jobs next season. Sage took advantage of the open door 
and brushed by the A.D., leaving unnoticed. He shivered and yelled, Someone shut that door. Marine, you've got ten to cue that video. Outside, Sage tried an experiment. Instead of walking to the school building, she pictured the attic in her mind, then asked the universe to take her there. But when the universe ignored her request, she cursed. Oh, come on. So far, all I've been able to do is be ignored. And that's a power not even exclusive to the afterlife. Jarrett and the producers had been ignoring her suggestions for the last few seasons. Disillusioned and angry, Sage walked up and through the front door. And that's it? The only thing I can ever do is walk through the occasional wall? Big deal. This is Jarrett and Carl in the attic. Jarrett whispered to his radio, then turned to face the camera. We're here in the attic where the current owners claim they have repeatedly seen a shadow person. In 1930, a teacher named Mrs. Whitney died of a heart attack up here while she was taking a nap between classes. Carl's wearing the full-spectrum glasses to see if we can capture her presence. Jarrett turned away from the camera and spoke to the empty air. Mrs. Whitney, we're not here to disturb you. We just want to talk. My friend Carl here is wearing an instrument that measures heat. If you walk in front of it, we'll be able to see you. At that moment, Jarrett's radio chirped. Jarrett, this is Maureen in the production van. We caught a shadow moving behind Carl when you called to Mrs. Whitney. Jarrett, Carl, and the camera crew turned just in time to miss a subtle deformation in the air that rose from the stairs to the attic. Sage mounted the last stair, then raced to the center of the dusty space and jumped up and down in front of the camera with no effect other than to create a minuscule swirl of dust motes in the air. Frustrated, she drifted over to Carl and tried tickling his back. Carl instinctively reached around to scratch himself, but kept talking to the camera. Eventually, Sage gave up and floated over to Jarrett. She stood an inch from his nose and yelled at him. Jarrett, you're a fool. You finally found your ghost, and it's right in front of your nose, but you're too busy faking things to notice me. I guess some things never change. She sighed. Jarrett stared straight through Sage, focused on the wall that Carl was intensively inspecting with the video glasses. On an impulse, she blew on his cheek, and his skin briefly responded with a momentary outbreak of goosebumps. But Jarrett didn't react. Jarrett's radio suddenly crackled again. We're in the basement. There's something weird going on down here. Janelle, the camera person, listened intently to her headphones and announced, Jarrett, We've gone to a commercial. They'll pick it up in the basement when we come back. The director liked the setup, said it played well on camera. Jarrett relaxed, slumping into a heap in a dusty chair. Well, at least something's gone right tonight, he grumbled. Disgusted, Sage decided to try the basement and left. When she arrived, Elaine and Martin were crouching in a corner, intensely scrutinizing an old wooden workbench where they had set up two small flashlights. Elaine was speaking to the empty air. These devices we put on the table are harmless lights. Oh, for heaven's sakes, how patronizing. Sage muttered. Just because we're dead doesn't imply that we're mindless zombies. She stopped and thought. When had she started counting herself among the dead? If you can turn on either light, we'll know that you're here. Then we can communicate. Elaine tried again. She was young and pretty, 
and was another reason higher, added to the lineup by the producers to, in quotes, extend the demographic that the show appealed to. Sage pictured at this precise moment in the production van how they were cranking the volume on the feed so there would be an intense hissy surge despite the tension for the next part of the scene. Hey, look here. I'm here, right in front of you. Sage waved her arms through Elaine, who shivered a bit, instinctively pushing her head down into her jacket. Martin, look. One of the flashlights, it turned on. Elaine pointed, still shivering. Sage whirled, half expecting to see a new colleague standing behind her, but no one else was in the dank basement. I didn't touch a thing, she growled, then saw Martin finger something in his coat pocket, and the light went out. Can you turn the other light on? Elaine politely requested and waited, but both flashlights remained off. Martin made a face as he repeatedly pressed his hand into his pocket until both lights turned on, then looked at Elaine and shrugged. Okay, Elaine smoothly improvised. I'll take that as a yes. You are here. Sage had to admit she was a good actress. Did you teach her? Turn one light off to answer yes, Elaine suggested. There was a long pause, then both flashlights went out. Elaine glanced accusingly at Martin. Okay, that's good enough. Now, can you turn both lights on for us? Martin slipped his hand back into his pocket, but this time nothing happened. Can you at least turn one light on? Undeterred, Elaine asked. Sage found herself amused by the consternation in the woman's voice. When nothing happened, the cameraman finally swung his lens away from the flashlights, then indicated that the director had switched back to the other stream. Elaine cursed. Martin, what were you trying to do? Nothing. The remote glitched. Jarrett should have never put that loser Sage in charge of tech. Angered, Sage walked up and threw the insulting junior investigator, making him shiver. And by the way, can we get out of here now? It's freezing and smelly in this hole. Martin complained in a whiny voice. Hey, Jarrett, they'll be switching back from Martin and Elaine in a couple of seconds. Janelle, the camera opt, called out after listening to her headset. Jarrett, who was ensconced in an old creaky chair, dropped his head into his hands before looking up at the crew. Nothing. We've got nothing other than the usual vague stuff, even with the so-called enhancements that the producers demanded. Tonight's show's been lame. We're doomed. Sage had entered the room unnoticed and hung close to the wall behind Jarrett. She impulsively shouted, You idiot! You should have listened to my plan to debunk this stuff. But then she realized how her new situation made that statement ridiculous. Jarrett cocked an ear for a moment as if he had heard, then put his head back into his hands. Jarrett! She screamed into one of his ears, then gave up and laughed at the irony of her situation. She had tried everything, but nothing had registered. Their high-tech gear was about as effective as using a styrofoam laser gun prop from a cheap science fiction movie and their so-called research techniques failed to capture anything, just as she had always claimed. But how many times had the truth just stood beside them and laughed in their faces? Again, anger coursed through Sage. She had died for what? A failing reality TV show that couldn't capture a ghost, even when they were real? It's not fair. 
Not fair at all, she yelled, managing again to disturb a few dust motes caught in a beam from one of the camera lights, which the entire crew failed to notice. We're back on live stream in two minutes for the last segment, Janelle called out. Jarrett stiffly stretched and stood. He nodded to the production assistant, who immediately turned and surreptitiously made her way to the far corner of the space. Sage noticed her pick something up. In five, Janelle mouthed, then hoisted the camera back to her shoulder, simultaneously counting down with her fingers. We're back in the attic, where earlier tonight our stationary night vision camera captured a shadow moving along the wall. Jarrett began. Then his radio suddenly crackled, interrupting him. Sage could tell from the irritated expression on Jarrett's face that the call was unscripted. What is it? He angrily demanded, then suddenly dropped his EVP recorder on the floor. Say that again? The color drained from Jarrett's face, and Sage could hear a thin, excited voice at the other end. The sound person instinctively swung the mic boom in close to pick up the conversation. It's, it's Sage. The panicky voice of Marine exclaimed through the static. The FLIR camera at the gravesite. Well, it's sort of, I mean, it just suddenly came back to life. We, we can see her, Jared. She's lying in the mud, not moving. We think she might have got struck by lightning. Forgetting they were still alive, Jared wiped his hand over his face, swore, then seemed to melt into a small, lonely, scared figure. The transformation took Sage off guard, and her anger waned. Jarrett shook himself out of his momentary stupor, then reached out with one hand and pushed the camera away. Turn that thing off, he demanded, then barked into the radio. Well, just don't sit there. Call 911. Jarrett elbowed his way past the camera crew, which had taken up position at the top of the stairs to the attic, nearly knocking the sound person over as he ran down three stairs at a time. Sage noticed Janelle listen to her headset, nod, check that the camera was still running, then frantically motioned for sound to follow. They stumbled down the narrow staircase chasing Jarrett, production assistants, and Carl in tow, leaving Sage alone in the attic. She suddenly felt sorry for Jarrett, harassed by the producers, the fanatic fans, and the naysayers claiming fraud. Then a sense of great peace overwhelmed Sage, and behind her, a beautiful white light appeared, strangely drawing her toward it. Sage stood still collecting her thoughts, and she was surprised to find that she still had a choice. Thanks for listening to Makeshift Stories 78 Finale. We hope that you've enjoyed this month's episode. As always, if you like what we're doing, please tell your friends about us or write a review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. You can also find us on Google+. We love hearing your comments, so send us an email to makeshiftstories at gmail.com or visit our website at makeshiftstories.com. We release a new story each month between the 15th and the 20th. If you're looking for more great speculative fiction podcasts, but are tired of wading through iTunes, only to find dead feeds and disappointing episodes, we'd recommend checking out Synthetic Voices. Each month, podcast critic Jimmy Rogers recommends a few of his favorite episodes from among a wide variety of FS podcasts. So head over to sciencesmagic.com to discover new free engaging stories. To listen to makeshift stories, 
on your iOS or Android device, please download Stitcher Radio from iTunes or the Google Play Store. This month's story was written and read by Alan V. Hare. The opening and closing theme is Podsafe Music by David Hume. Makeshift Stories is released under a Creative Commons non-commercial attribution, no derivative license, which means that you're free to share our stories. Just remember to credit us and don't alter anything.